Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, I'm Jenny. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to get to share with you this morning. During that song of worship, that final song, I was praying to Jesus, and I realized I was praying that he would help me in sharing the testimony about him. That was a powerful thing to me to realize that. I want to ask you, what's a special day for you, a significant day, a day that you planned for and looked ahead to and prepared for? Maybe the day of your wedding, the day of a birth of your child, the day that you would leave for a once-in-a-lifetime vacation, maybe a day that you would see a friend that you haven't seen in years. For me, a day like that is always the day that I leave to get to travel overseas to serve together with brothers and sisters in another country. The day we'll be looking at today in our scripture is a significant day in Jesus' life. It's a day that he had prepared for and looked ahead to. But unlike the kinds of days I mentioned a moment ago, this is not a happy, light day in Jesus' life. Today's passage has a lot of emotion in it. It's a hard passage. It's hard to read. But I want us to go through today's scripture together. And then at the end of the scripture, I want to share a testimony of a close friend of mine. It's really a testimony of my own life and of this friend's life as well. And the testimony connects with what we'll be looking at in the scripture today. It's the scripture today that makes possible the resurrection testimony that you'll hear later on in the message. So we'll be jumping into the scripture in Luke 22 at verse 39. Jesus has just finished his final meal with his disciples. He's been telling his disciples that his death on the cross is approaching. And in today's passage, that death comes much closer. So at verse 39, Luke writes that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. This passage starts out so ordinary. Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives, but this this day, this evening we'll be looking at, it's not just any other day. The Mount of Olives was a a ridge on the eastern side of Jerusalem. I brought in one artist's picture of what the Mount of Olives might have looked like. This is the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus often went to this place to pray. Through scripture, we see that each time there was an especially significant thing taking place, Jesus would be with the people, and then he, with, he would withdraw to a quiet place like this to pray. It's daytime in this picture, but imagine dusk coming, and Jesus has been having this last meal with his disciples, and now it has gotten dark. And as usual, Jesus goes to this place to spend the night in communion with God the Father. Scripture tells us that in these days that we're looking at this morning, every day Jesus would teach in the temple courts, and then Jesus would go to this place, to the Mount of Olives, to pray and commune with God the Father. 
The Mount of Olives is the place where Garden of Gethsemane is. Uh, Luke doesn't mention Garden of Gethsemane, but our other gospel accounts do. So on this night, after his last meal with his disciples, as usual, he goes to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to spend the evening in communion with God the Father. And the scripture continues and says that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples. And this is where we recognize this is not like any other day. Because Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup for me. He's speaking of a cup of suffering, his upcoming suffering and death on the cross. If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I want us to hear and feel the emotion of this. This is Jesus, our Lord, kneeling and pleading with God the Father that if there would be any way for him not to have to take that cup of suffering on the cross, that he would ask the Father to take it from him. But then Jesus, in perfect trust and submission to God the Father, says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and his humanity is so visible in this passage. Our Lord Jesus is kneeling and praying and crying out to God in deep anguish. This has been so hard for people to understand that some people have really struggled with the idea that Jesus would need to be strengthened, that an angel would come and strengthen him. But again, he is fully God and fully man, and in his humanity, he is in anguish, looking ahead to the suffering represented by the cross. I brought in one artist's picture of Jesus praying in the garden. It's really moving to think about our Lord praying in the garden. And Pastor Toby shared with me about his trip to Israel and how Toby had the opportunity to walk through the Garden of Gethsemane on this Mount of Olives. And Toby shared that he saw the rock where it's believed that Jesus prayed that night, and that it was really touching to him. Toby shared with me that he was reminded about the meaning of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive mill or olive press. And Toby was reminded of how Jesus was pressed as he prayed. Toby shared that at Nazareth Village, he saw an actual olive mill, and he learned how olives are pressed to make oil. He learned that they're usually pressed three times, that the olive is pressed first for anointing oil, second for cooking or oil for food, and the third time the olive is pressed for the lamp for oil for the lamp. And Toby shared with me that on that third pressing, the olive is crushed so hard that the seeds crack and get mixed into the oil. It's a powerful, emotional thing to realize that our Lord Jesus 
was pressed and crushed for our sins. And that imagery of the olive being so crushed that the seed cracks and gets mixed into the oil, it's, it's a vivid image. It's filled with emotion. Scripture in Isaiah says that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Like how the olive gets crushed, Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. In our college and young adult group, I've been sitting in with them as they're getting started. They're studying the book of Job. The book of Job raises questions of how and why God lets a person suffer. And it's so moving to me to understand that God himself in Jesus suffered that God himself in Jesus was pressed and crushed for us in his suffering for us. So the scripture continues. When Jesus rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, Jesus said? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The disciples are exhausted from sorrow, even though the the final journey to Jesus' death has really just begun. I wonder if you've ever been exhausted from sorrow. I feel like I have a couple times in my life where I wake up in the morning remembering the sorrow that I'm experiencing and just wanting to stay asleep. These disciples were exhausted from the sorrow of finally understanding that Jesus really was going to go to his death on the cross. And so Jesus tells his disciples again to pray, to get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The disciples would face even harder things than they had up to this point. They'd be faced with the question of, would they run away upon Jesus' arrest? Would they deny him? Would they decide they had just been deceived and that this was just all a big deception? What would they do as Jesus got taken away to his death? And so Jesus calls them to pray that they would not fall into temptation. Continuing in verse 47, While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And Judas approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? This Son of Man language is rich Old Testament language from the book of Daniel. The prophet Daniel had written of one who would be like a Son of Man, who would be given all glory and power and whose dominion would be an everlasting dominion. Those are prophetic words about Jesus, and Jesus is using that term, Son of Man, to describe himself. Judas knew where to find Jesus. After all, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives every night. Judas could have found him in the temple, and he knew he could find him on the Mount of Olives. It's almost like Jesus went to the Mount of Olives that night to pray and to wait for his arrest. And so Judas comes and walks up to Jesus and kisses him. 
a student would go up to his revered, respected, beloved teacher and kiss that teacher as a sign of respect and love. And you know, as Gary mentioned, we just had Valentine's Day a couple of days ago. Literally, this kiss, um, it's, it's not too strong to say this is a kiss literally from hell. Judas goes up to Jesus and kisses him. Judas would go on and commit suicide. Judas seems to feel a sense of sorrow afterwards, but not enough repentance that would let him come back to God. And so he tragically commits suicide. And the scripture continues in this this powerful, tragic, emotional, but also so important account of Jesus' path towards his death. So in verse 49, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Scripture elsewhere tells us that it's Peter in his enthusiasm, who takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Later on in the weekly challenge, I'll be asking you what you find most moving about this passage that we've been looking at this morning. One of the most moving things to me is that Jesus took his hand and touched a man who could be considered his enemy and healed that man's ear. It's one of the final things that Jesus did with his hand before his hand was bound in his arrest. And it is so moving to me to think that in his final act with his hand before it was bound, that he used that hand to touch a man who was his enemy and to bring healing. And the scripture continues in verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Immediately after this, Jesus will be seized. Everyone will desert him, and he'll be taken away on that journey towards his death on the cross. This man, Jesus, who was born to so much joy, um, this man, Jesus, who would bring light to those in darkness, Jesus, fully man, fully God, is about to be arrested and led off to his death. And in that hour, Jesus says, it's an hour when darkness reigns. It's a time of spiritual darkness, a time of physical darkness, a time when darkness reigns. And there's something in me that doesn't want to end a sermon on that note of darkness reigning. There's something in me that wants to quickly move on to the resurrection that comes afterwards. But I want to encourage us not to move on too quickly 
want to encourage us to experience the depth of that evening when darkness reigned. There is resurrection, but I think that I and maybe we can too quickly jump immediately to the resurrection without taking time to sit in the reality of that night when Jesus was betrayed and then was arrested and headed to his death. I want to share a resurrection testimony about a friend of mine named Carrie. This is a story of Carrie, but also a story of my own life. I first met Carrie around 2002 when I lived in Redlands. I was a member of the Free Methodist Church in Redlands. I wasn't a pastor yet at that time. And Carrie impacted my life immediately. She was a little younger than me. She was the first female pastor that I had ever met that I could really identify with. She already had years of pastoral experience. She had recently moved from out of state with her husband. They were newlyweds. And she was in seminary at Azusa Pacific University. She and her husband, Aaron, had chosen to make our church in Redlands their home. And she had been hired as an associate pastor at our church. In the summer of 2005, we were preparing to send a team to Ethiopia. That trip would be my first trip to Africa. Carrie was going to lead this trip. And before that, Carrie was going to take our youth group to IYC, our Free Methodist National Youth Conference. So just before this very busy summer of ministry, Aaron and Carrie took a vacation together out of state. They rented a convertible, and they were enjoying time together in the outdoors, which they loved doing. And then a life-shattering Sunday morning came, and I'm going to share about it. I have Carrie's permission to share about all of this. That Sunday morning, a friend of mine, a minister in training, was preaching. Ironically, he was preaching on Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. My memory is that just before my friend came up to preach, our lead pastor came over to my friend and whispered something to him. And my friend went ahead and got up and preached on Psalm 91. At the end of the service, the lead pastor shared devastating news. Carrie and Aaron had been in an accident out of state. The lead pastor didn't know the details yet, but his understanding was that they were both alive. I remember our lead pastor inviting everyone to stay after church, and I remember all of us just kneeling and crying out to God for mercy on Carrie and Aaron. Over the upcoming days, we learned more details. Their rental convertible had gone off-road as they swerved to try to avoid a truck that had turned across their lane on a, a country highway. And when their convertible swerved and went off-road, it flipped. Erin was okay, but Carrie had broken her neck. Later, Erin would share with us that after the crash, when he was able to crawl over to where Carrie was, he, he knew that her neck was broken. And later, they both would share with us that Carrie's first words to Aaron at that moment were, 
I want a baby. In the weeks and months after this, Carrie and Aaron remained out of state as Carrie received medical care and rehabilitation services. Carrie had many ups and downs. There would be encouraging signs and then severe setbacks. At one point in her pain and in all the medication she was taking, she almost lost herself for 40 days. And then as we back in California fasted and prayed for her, she she came back to herself mentally and emotionally. And then the time came that Carrie and Aaron moved back to California to Riverside where they live. And they faced their new realities back in their familiar settings of church and school. Aaron is a music teacher at a school. And I can't remember the first time I saw Carrie when she returned. I think that my mind and heart can't even process that experience. But I do remember one of her first sermons from her wheelchair now back at our church. I remember her preaching a sermon that I, in my immaturity, thought was too sad. Remember that she and also her husband with her shared about suffering. I remember that I felt the sermon ended without like a happy note of hopeful closure. And I remember even that I talked with my lead pastor about that and that I called Carrie to talk about it in my immaturity. And I remember continuing to think about that sermon for years afterwards. And over time, I came to realize that sometimes an event happens that is so shattering that it's appropriate to sit in the reality of it and not to too quickly move on to hope. And I think today's passage that we've looked at is that kind of passage. And again, I'm inviting us to sit in the reality of what Jesus suffered as he prepared to be taken away towards his death on the cross. Over time, though, resurrection does come because our God is a God of resurrection. After several years, Carrie and Aaron made the incredibly brave decision to have a baby. Carrie was able to carry their baby. Most doctors had never heard of such a thing, a quadriplegic being able to carry her own baby. And their baby Grace was born healthy, and at this end, there they are. So Carrie and Aaron and Grace. Honestly, Carrie and Aaron experienced many more years of devastation in ministry, including the closure of, of their church, the Free Methodist Church in Redlands. But recently, Carrie and Aaron have found a church home in the Riverside Free Methodist Church. They found a lead pastoral couple that they have so much in common with and they get to, to share life and ministry together with. Carrie's back on staff. She's a volunteer pastor at the Riverside Free Methodist Church. She's preaching again. She's serving again in her calling. I've watched videos of her serving communion and preaching the word with passion and strength and wisdom and compassion. The resurrection in Carrie and Aaron's life is beautiful. It's painful. I cried writing this. I shared it with Carrie, and she shared that she cried reading it. It's heartbreaking. It's profound, this resurrection in their lives. But they are not in the hour when darkness reigns. 
Carrie is passionate about the image of God. It's something that's always been a passion of hers. The image of God is strong and living in her. God has rescued Carrie and Aaron from the dominion of darkness, and they live their lives here in California in the kingdom of the Son he loves, in the kingdom of Jesus. There's a scripture in Colossians. I believe we have it to put on the screen from Colossians 1. It says, For he, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Carrie's story and our scripture from today come together because the resurrection that Carrie has experienced is only made possible by the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus. Because of Jesus' love for us, he faced the hour when darkness reigns. And he died on the cross, and then he rose again. And because of him, because of Jesus, Carrie does not live in the hour when darkness reigns. You and I do not live in the hour when darkness reigns. Along with Carrie and Aaron and Grace, we too have been rescued from darkness. And we, too, live in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. This week, I want to invite us in our weekly challenge to reflect more on these scriptures. So for no, I want to invite us to read this passage again from Luke 22, to sit in that passage, let it impact us. Reflect on what moves your heart the most about this passage. I shared that for me, Jesus touching that servant's ear and healing him is deeply moving to me as I think about how Jesus' hands were bound after that. For grow, what is your prayer of Gethsemane? The prayer that you've been praying for many years, but you haven't seen the answer yet. Remember that Jesus is with you as you pray. Jesus prayed, Jesus suffered, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. He is with you as you continue to pray. For overflow, read this Colossians passage, Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14, once again. Our story does not end when darkness reigns. Whom can you encourage this week with the truth of God's rescue? Let's pray together, and then we'll go back into worship. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. And we don't say that lightly. I pray for us this week. Help us to sit in the time of your suffering, to let it impact us. And ultimately help us to even more so rejoice in the resurrection that you have made possible. That God, through the suffering of Jesus, on his way to the cross, on the cross, through his death, and then through his resurrection, God, you have rescued us that we don't live in the hour when darkness reigns because, God, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. 
God, I pray for us as we head towards this Easter season. Help us to even more so than ever before to treasure and rejoice in what you have done that we could be rescued by you, God. God, we thank you. We worship you this day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our worship service today, let's all stand together. Let's again as we sing. Wow.